Uh, God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for a place to gather, uh, Lord, as, as just as human, as people, Lord, people along the way, uh, people in need, people searching, uh, people lost, people being found, Lord, uh, and Lord, people that you created for your purpose. And Lord, uh, Lord, we recognize that um, we have fallen away from that purpose, but in Christ you have restored it. And so we pray for this morning. Lord, as we come to your word, we would see your promise, we would see your truth, we would see the commands for your life. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that in, in him, Lord, uh, we are empowered to live a life, Lord, not just for our enjoyment, but for your glory, God, and one that is used uh, to speak hope and life and peace to all those around us. So Lord, we give you this time, speak through me, in spite of me, God, I feel very inadequate, and I thank you for that because it's not me anyway, and so be glorified now, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, today we're going to talk about a gift, and who doesn't love a gift? I mean, no one's ever said, no, I don't like gifts. Now, some people don't like the attention they get when they get gifts, and those people probably are better gift givers. Some people love to give gifts. Some people like to get gifts. I won't make you raise your hand to say which one you are, um, because some reason we, we feel like it's not good to receive a gift, but actually receiving a gift is very good, done rightly. Um, but, but we all kind of love pieces that comes around gifts, but there are some funny things about gifts and gift giving, and, and a couple of the negative things I've experienced around the gifts and the gift giving and the gift getting uh, is, is these, some, some of these dynamics that I've experienced, uh, that I've gone through. One is those gifts that you get are just a complete miss. You're like, does this person understand me? Do they know who I am? Like, what were they thinking? Is this like, did they put the wrong label on? Like, I think of a, of a Christmas where I open this gift and it is literally this box of two crickets, <laughs> alive, like not even chocolate covered or anything, just two crickets, and, and it's got this card, and this is no lie with the cards, this is a family gathering, and it's got this card, and the card says, when I bought these, I thought that it stood for hope and faith, but then I realized that it stood, stand, they stand for like freedom and longevity or something like that. So Merry Christmas anyway, you know, and so I was like, uh, and then the, the person's name was, I didn't know, it turns out it was one of my distant cousin's girlfriends who was supposed to be there, then wasn't, and somehow her name was in the hat, and she drew my name, and so she had to buy a present for someone she didn't know, and she heard that I was a person of faith, and so she was trying to find a connection, so she just, I think she picked the wrong faith, so anyway, <laughs> but it was awkward, because like, again, you're also taught from a young age, like, be gracious when you get a gift. So you're supposed to put the face on and thanks. And I'm like, who is this lady? I'm looking around the room. I'm like, well, I don't see this person. I'm not going to say her name just because she was my, my cousin's girlfriend. Um, but, I, you know, I, I had to act gracious. So it was kind of awkward. And then there's those gifts that, that come where the gift giver kind of heaps on all this guilt. They're like, they, they tell you, like, they tell you all the, you know, all the reasons that you should love this gift. They tell you the extent, like all the stores they had to go to, the number of stores they had to go to to find it. And maybe it goes as far as them telling you how much they spent on it. You know, and it's like, and, and it becomes more about them than it is about you enjoying the gift. And that's, that's just awkward too. And so again, gifts are great, but they also are awkward. 
but we're gonna but we are talking about gifts today and there is a perfect gift and what is what, what what's a perfect gift and I think I've spoken this definition in in this room before but I, I love this definition I heard a few years ago and it says the perfect gift is the one who expresses the, the one that expresses the personality of the gift giver and meets the needs or desires of the receiver that's a perfect gift and and we think about like what are the best gifts the best gifts, like the ones that, that you hold dear, the ones that you remember, the ones you don't pass down. It's the ones that are extremely personal. And, and honestly, usually those gifts probably don't have as much monetary value, or at least it's not the monetary value that really makes them meaningful. It's, it's, I mean, I think about Amber, my wife, um, who, by the way, pray for her, she's not feeling well today, so feel free to lift her up and give her a call later today if you would like, and just say feel better. Um, plus, she loves phone calls. Um, if you, those that are laughing know that she doesn't. She will not answer the phone. So, um, but leave her a message. Um, but thinking about her, like she, for me, like I, I, luckily I learned early. So like if you go through our history of, of meaningful gift giving, like anniversaries and whatever else, it usually entails me drawing something, making a coupon book, <laughs> which every guy's done, I guess. Uh, I don't know. If you haven't, do it. No, don't. Um, but, uh, you know, just she loves the meaningful stuff. And, like, she has these pictures that are my family members, like my great-great-grandfather that have been passed down. She doesn't know them, but she loves them because of the meaningfulness of them. And so the, the, the most meaningful gifts are the ones that come with a lot of, of personal uh, connection, that, that they speak to, to, to what matters in that relational level. Um, today we're going to look at the most personal and extravagant gift, the most perfect gift. Uh, this is a gift of power and of presence and of promise. And, and maybe you're figuring it out um, since we said it earlier. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit given by God to you and to me. And, and, and this gift of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's more than just personal. It's, very, it's the very giving of the indwelling person of God. So it's relational. We see that in the Holy Spirit, we are given the indwelling of God in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Just to get us started today, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So it dwells in you. He's given us the indwelling presence and power and person of God. So today we continue this teaching through um, our statement of faith and we're, as we're teaching this foundation series and we've, we're studying through our statement of faith, looking at the convictions of the Holy, our convictions of the Holy Spirit today. We've already looked at who God is, who Jesus is, what the Word of God is, what the work of Christ is. Uh, today we look at the Holy Spirit. So we will read our statement of faith, but we're going to teach from John 14, 6, John 14, starting in verse 16 today. So go ahead and open your Bibles there. Click on your apps. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or an app, look underneath you. There's a Bible there near you. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that. That's our gift to you. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, uh, kind of the most popular Bible app, you can go to the live events. There's a, there's a thing there that can kind of help guide you along. Um, it's got some great resources for further study on your own as well. There you go. Um, so just go to the More tab, look for events. It should pop up because it's GPS kind of enabled. So just a resource there for you if you like that kind of thing. Um, today we're not going to teach through every statement made in this article about the Holy Spirit, um, but what we teach will be the foundations of all that the statement makes. Um, so make, make sure uh, there's resources in that event. You can also go to our website. 
Um, it's got a lot of resources to help you. You can go to the beliefs page. Look there underneath the one about the Holy Spirit. You'll see a link that has uh, the, the statement kind of with all of the scripture that supports it. It'd be great for you to study on your own and maybe gather up with someone else. But let's start with our text today. John 14, 16 through 26. We're going to read it in whole here and then we'll kind of work through it on a, on a, on a few touches. So here we go. It says, and I, this is Jesus speaking, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay, so let's start with reading um, our statement of faith on the Holy Spirit here. Um, It says this, It says, we believe that the Holy Spirit and all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. So let's start with this. Who is the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you, just in the framing of that question, there's a hint just in the pronoun that we actually that we chose a pronoun at all, saying who is the Holy Spirit. Our statement starts with this. We believe that the Holy Spirit and all that he does. The pronoun he is very intentional. The, the, the question who is, uh, we must first acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person and not just an impersonal force. Um, and we think about the, the way that we've talked about the Holy Spirit growing up, the way we've interacted If we're quite honest, we can see that we often approach the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force that we get to invoke and enact as needed. But what we must see first and foremost is the Holy Spirit is a person, just like God is a person, just like Jesus is a person. Where do we get this from? And we'll talk about why that matters in a second, but where do we get this from? Notice how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in verse 17. It says, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So even Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a person. Ephesians 4.30 says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Hebrews 10.29 says that the Spirit can be outraged. Romans 15.30 says the Holy Spirit loves. So these are all very personal. These are emotions that the Holy Spirit has as a person. It's grieved and it can be outraged and it loves. This doesn't describe an impersonal force something to be wielded. The Holy Spirit is a person. So already we're seeing the nature of the gift of the Holy Spirit is personal because it's, he's a person. 
So as best as we can, I encourage you to take the shift even today. And, and now that you think about it, you may not have recognized how often you referred to the Holy Spirit as an it. But I encourage you to, to shift, start referring to the Holy Spirit in personal terms as a he. Verse 16 says this, and as we come to verse 16, we see that the Holy Spirit is a person and also the Holy Spirit is God. Verse 16 says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So another helper there is key for us to understand this, that he is also God. Another helper, we want to talk about helper, but we'll do that in a minute. But first, let's start with that word, another right here in this text. That word another comes, there's two words in the Greek that are used for the, for the word another. One word, one word that you'll see used in Scripture is the word hetero, which is it's, it's kind of opposite or different from the former. It's a, it's a very distinct contrast, so it's hetero. Uh, the other word, which is the word that's used here, is alas, which is just like the former. It's, it's used to communicate different but the same. So this is the word we have here. It's, it's another, but it's another that is of the same. Why does this matter? What, like, why do we point that out? Because Jesus said he would send another helper or a counselor. So the implication and what we know is that Jesus is the first helper and counselor. And we see the same terminology, the same word used by the same author of this book, John, in 1 John, later, another epistle that he wrote. Uh, but we see it. So we see the same term Allah used to describe Jesus that he's, using to describe, uh, that he's using to describe the Holy Spirit here, that he is another helper. So Jesus is the first helper and the first counselor. And now we have the Holy Spirit, who is just like Jesus, but yet another. <laughs> is your mind spinning at, spinning at all? Get used to that. We'll go deeper into that in a second, so it's fun. Um, so the one that God is sending is like the first and is like him. So to understand, again, how we can say that the Holy Spirit is God, we also can look to Jesus to understand if it's true of Jesus, it's true of the Holy Spirit and his claims. Jesus made some pretty outrageous claims about himself. Actually, this coming Thursday night, uh, Neil... Neil's back there is teaching, uh, and he'll teach a lot on this uh, as we kind of culminate our summer series on the names of God, uh, looking at I am. But we see this. One of the claims from Jesus, so we see this in John 8, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I am is not just this kind of incomplete sentence. It is the, the self-existent name God gave himself it is the highest name of God that there is. This is the divine name of God given to Moses at the burning bush. The audience of Jesus would have known that immediately. They would have recognized that. So everyone Jesus is speaking understood Jesus to say, hey, that God, the, the God that you worship, the God that promised the Messiah, that's me. I am. We are the same. You can read all throughout John. Grab someone together and read throughout John. The more, as you sit in John and focus on the claims of Christ about himself, he makes it unignorable that he is not just the Messiah, but he is also God. I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen him. Grab someone, read through John together. There's nothing more, to, uh, there's nothing more important than to understand and know Jesus. So to say who Jesus is, Jesus is God. 
So we can say the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus can forgive sins. You only have the power to forgive sins if you're the one who was sinned against. Again, so it wasn't just God that we sinned against. We sinned against Jesus because he is God. Jesus says he will judge the world because he is a part of that personhood of who God is. So Jesus made the audacious claim that he wasn't just sent by God, but that he indeed is God. And how he is claiming that he is going to send another one who is just like him. So Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is a person and that the Holy Spirit is God. Does, any, does anyone recognize kind of what ground we're treading on here? It's, it's the Trinity. And man, this is, again, something that just will blow all of our minds. And it's hard for, it's, a, it's an inexhaustible conversation. Um, but we see the Trinity here in our verses today, verses 21 through 23, kind of point this out in the continuation of thought from verse 16, where Jesus says that he is sending the Holy Spirit. He says, the Father and I will love you and that I'm going away, but we will come to you. So I'm coming to you as the Holy Spirit comes to you. Now, so we see the Trinity there. We see all pieces. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to unpack the Trinity today. One, Honestly, I'm not smart enough. Uh, two, we don't have time to. I'll, I'll, we'll try that another day. Um, but just in summary form, um, I, just to get us to a kind of a healthy place of understanding and a place that will allow us to move forward with the right understandings that, that we're trying to teach today, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to share with you a summary from Tim Keller. He has the unbelievable ability to take the most complex concepts and distill them down to something at least containable. I'm going to read what he says, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, but this is his summary of, of the Trinity. He says, Jesus is not saying, I'm not really going away. I'm coming to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Nor, on the other hand, is he saying, I'm going away, and therefore I'm not coming, but he's coming. He is so one with the Holy Spirit that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, Jesus comes, yet he is not so identical to the Holy Spirit that he isn't all, also already away and therefore in heaven. He says, Tim Keller says, do you have that? Do you see how easy that was in his dry sarcasm? And he says, uh, and then he goes on to say, Jesus is saying there are not three gods, but they're two, one, to, because they're two, one, to be three gods. On the other hand, it's not one person in three forms. There he has his father hat, then he has his son hat, then he has his Holy Spirit hat. He says there are two, three for that. So it's one God and three persons. <laughs> Was that helpful? <laughs> Amen, right? So just to sum it up and try to help us move forward, I'll say this. The Trinity has the potential to be a weight around our necks, one that we just get weighed down in and bogged down in and we can't move past. Um, and, and that comes because we are finite, and we are trying to comprehend the infinite. Um, so let me just say this. I promise you this. The Trinity is a beautiful truth that we should love, we should have affection for, because, because of the Trinity, it allows God to be holy and transcendent and sovereign. It allows Jesus to be our atoning sacrifice and the Holy Spirit to be the personal empowering presence of God in our lives. That's what we can know the Trinity works in us and what we get to experience and so it's a beautiful truth. Let's, let's continue to wrestle with it well and pray for God to illuminate and give us more understanding. But that hopefully can let us move forward uh, from here. And, and thinking about, again, the importance of this, and, and Jesus said in John 16, he says, it's better that I leave for you because if I stay, your helper cannot come, speaking of the Holy Spirit. But if I leave, the Holy Spirit can come. And just as a quick note, like, why is that better? 
Like, and in, in, in conversations with people who are, I mean, I just had a conversation a few weeks ago, and a guy said, it would be so much easier to believe if, if I could just walk with Jesus. But yet Jesus says, it's better that I go. And, and I'll say, and why is it better? When Jesus was here, he's fully God and fully man. He was fully man. He was limited to one place at one time. To be with Jesus, you had to go to where he was. As he leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, because we believe the Holy Spirit to be the very, the very person of God, God in three persons, we now all at all times get to have very real, intimate, one-on-one fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. And that is no less than walking side by side with Jesus. And then not only do we walk side by side and observe the teaching and get to partake in the life of Christ, we actually, which we'll, we're going to work through this in a second, we have the power of God within us for a Godward life. So it is better that he leaves so that the helper can come. Again, personal. The personal is even more personal now that Jesus has left the earth and the Holy Spirit is here. And, and whether the question comes to mind or not, we get why this matters. Um, we just kind of keep digging back into that question. But why? Why do we need to worry about this? Why do we care really about understanding the Holy Spirit when it's so hard to understand, when he is so hard to understand? Um, we all know the need of this world. We feel the weight. We feel the struggle. We feel the need to be validated, the need to measure up, the need to, to not be felt, not to feel like an outcast anymore. Um, you know, we, we get that. We get the struggle to belong and the struggle to know our worth. And then if you are a Christ follower, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, you understand the struggle of an obedient life. You understand the struggle of living a life that glorifies God. So we get that. We understand that we need power in this world. We need belonging. And so when we come to there, whether you recognize it or not, what we desire is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Because that's a loaded phrase. That's a loaded sentence. Because that means very different things to different people. Let's, let's come back to this impersonal force versus a person. It's a very different thing to seek the feeling, the feeling of an impersonal force as it is to seek it from a person. Have you ever thought of it that way? When you think about being filled by an impersonal force, and, you know, this electricity that charges and moves and, and empowers that comes and goes, we're, we're left with this kind of mechanical approach where it's about kind of hitting the right buttons and the right combination at the right time. So whether it's Christianity, where it's, it's you do this, do that, don't do this, do that, raise your hands, get on your knees, say this, don't say that, or whether it's any other religion where it's either the emptying of the mind or it's the, or it's the, the you know, aligning, aligning the parts of yourself, it's this mechanical approach where it's about your, you figuring out the combination, you cracking the code. Contrast that with a person. To be filled by a person is to have an acute awareness of that person in your life. And that awareness, that acute awareness, affects everything that you do. Again, all of a sudden, we're back to relationship. And I cannot help but think of my relationship with my wife, with Amber, this is one that comes through time and proximity and interaction. And my relationship with Amber affects everything that I do. 
It affects the way that I see things. It affects the decisions I make. It affects the way that I put my pillow on the bed. I never karate chopped the top of my pillow before I met Amber. But it, what you don't know is that makes it look really nice. You know, you, you fluff it, then you karate chop it. And so I never did that. You know, or just like, I never, I mean, there's just so many just practical things about my life that are affected because I know Amber. There's also many beautiful things about me that are changed as a person because I know Amber. I have more compassion. I'm more servant-hearted. I'm kinder, more thoughtful. These are all things that she had greater expressions of than me that now through our 13 years together, I'm starting to see those things in my life. Just even the way that I make, again, so, you know, someone, Dave says, hey, let's go see a movie. I say, okay, cool, I want to do that. Let me, talk, let me talk with Amber first. Or I know, again, maybe she's had a hard day, and I know that, hey, you know what, not, not a good night tonight. She needs to love. Again, just that, that knowing through proximity and interaction and time, that being, having that acute awareness of the, the, the person in your life affects all that you do and see. So when we think about the Holy Spirit as a person, as relational, all of a sudden being filled by the Holy Spirit isn't this magical thing where we're wielding lightning bolts, right? We have, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have all the power of God in us. But again, it's, it's for His glory. It's a gift used for His glory and His good. And so we, we, we're created to long for that because we were created for relationship with God. And so to desire to be filled by the Spirit is not bad. We have churches that all they talk about is a spiritual work, and we have churches that are so afraid to talk about anything spiritual. Again, let's focus on the fact that God has invited us into relationship, and everything that He has given us is for that purpose, so that we can live for His glory uh, in this life. To quote Keller one more time, he says, To be filled with the Spirit is to have your life transformed by an acute consciousness of the glorious person who lives permanently within the walls of your life. So we have to let him in. We have to surrender. Again, he is there. He's made the way for us. He's knocked on our hearts. Have you surrendered your life? Let him into the walls of your life to occupy every space. So it's a very brief view of who the Holy Spirit is. What does the Holy Spirit do? Our statement gets really specific about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you to, like I say, go through it and study because we are not going to break down every one of those today. Um, but what we do break down will be the bedrock for all of these works. So I'm going to reread again just kind of the section that speaks to the work of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll kind of use our text uh, for some foundational understandings. The Holy Spirit, it says, He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners, and in Him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. So for us today, we're going to focus on two words from our text that are used to describe what the Holy Spirit does. We're going to focus on the spirit of truth, and then that word helper or counselor, as we talked about. So first, when the, spirit of, the word spirit of truth, we see that in verse 17. It says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. It says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So when we think of the spirit of truth, it distills down to this, the fact that the Holy Spirit essentially authored Scripture. And again, we can't go back through uh, all, the, all of what we believe about Scripture. You can go back to that sermon online and listen to it as well. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. Um, 
But we see this in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. It says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever, ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Holy, the Holy Spirit was the, was the facilitator, the giver of, of Scripture as God. So it was given through Jesus and thus is given of himself. So with that, we cannot separate our pursuit that come, our, our desire for the pursuit of being filled by the Holy Spirit as we recognize our need in this world from the pursuit of Scripture. In knowing Scripture, we can know God. We, in, in Colossians, we see, we see uh, the, the fruit of a Spirit-filled life laid out. And in Ephesians, we see the fruit of a Scripture, truth-filled life. And they are the exact same, written by the same author. So we can see that they are one and the same. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. But in knowing Scripture, we can know God. We cannot separate out, out that pursuit. Uh, so when we think about pursuing the Lord, when we th think about being filled with truth, we think about being filled with the Spirit, we have to be driven to fellowship in the Word, not just academically, but relationally and transformationally. So when we come back to being filled by a person, it is to hang on their every word. The Bible uses the words to let it dwell in you richly. I think of a pair of glasses. We can go get the best eye exam that there is, if there is quality of eye exams, I assume there is, but we can get the best one that we can find. Go to Yelp and read reviews or something, I don't know. But we can go and seek out the best eye exam. We can buy the best quality lenses with all the frills and spills. We can go get the nicest frame, spend all this money, make all this investment in these perfect glasses for our eyes. But if we leave those glasses sitting on the table, we don't experience any of the benefit of that investment. It is only when we pick up those glasses and put them on that we see the world as the benefit of those glasses was meant to be experienced. So when you pursue being filled by the Spirit through the Word of God, we don't just pursue it in this dry, kind of you know, philosophical and, and intellectual pursuit to where we just acquire knowledge but, but don't seek to let it be relational or transformational and just kind of leave it on the table. It has to be the very thing of which we see the world through and we see ourselves and understand ourselves through. It's the same as Scripture. To be filled with the Word is to be filled with the Spirit. So to look at the Word, so, so we see that the Spirit of truth is the very Word of God. So we need to pursue the Word of God to be filled with the Spirit. And we see also this other word, helper, another helper. Another word is counselor. And, and we see the word here is this word parakletos in Greek. And it's, that's a combination of two words. The word para, which is this together word. It's not in front or behind, but alongside. And this word kletos, it's, it's, the root of that is kaleo, which is, which is this idea of calling or proclaiming or arguing for or against. 
So when we look at the context and understanding it set aside as the same as Jesus, one of the things we know about Jesus is that he is our legal advocate. And this is, again, something we've talked about in this space quite a bit, so I understand that it may, this may be new for some of you, and that's okay. But Jesus is our legal, legal, our legal advocate representing us unto our judge, who is the Father, right? The, the, the giver of all righteousness, the one who is the judge of, good, of right and wrong, the one who we must measure up against. Jesus stood beside us and is our advocate to the Father. He is our legal representative and is because not only did he represent us, the case that he stated was not our life but his own life. Again, he gave us his righteousness. He said, Look at, let me take on their sin. Let me take on their wrath. He died on the cross and as our legal representative, he took on our wrath and gave us his righteousness. So he represented us to the Father. So here when we see another helper Another, another counselor, we see the Holy Spirit in that same, the one who was beside us arguing on our behalf. He is another legal advocate, the Holy Spirit for you and me. So let's quickly break down what that means. Jesus, the Holy Spirit represents tr- the truth of Jesus and who we are in him to us. So Jesus, our legal advocate, represents us to God the Father. The Holy Spirit represents the truth of God, the truth of Jesus to us. So you see that? So let's, let's get to Scripture for that. Um, <clears throat> our spirit and our minds are marred, right? They're marred by sin, which results in us having fear, and we, we, fear, we fear all that there is, and we, we fight against the gospel of grace. We struggle to see hope in eternity. This is the truth that that Paul was speaking to in Romans 8, looking at 15 and 16. We'll start with 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So our spirit is one that fears. In contrast, we see that here. Our spirit is one who fights against the gospel of grace, who fights against the truth of God. But we see it says the spirit that is given us, the spirit of the Holy Spirit is the one who on our behalf turns our hearts and our minds and our lives to where we cry out, Abba, Father. That Abba, Father is that term of endearment that Andy taught us about early in the summer. The one that is Daddy God, the one who can rest in the arms of a father. That's, so the Spirit of God turns our hearts that way, is, is representing the truth of God. He's saying, here is the truth, here exposes the lie, illuminates the lie that you're believing and saying, here is the truth that you can believe about your daddy God. He is good and he cares for you. He made a way for you. You are a new creation. You are, you are a rebel made a part of the family. You are, you are an orphan and an outcast who has been adopted. You are a sinner who has been made a saint in Christ. So we see that representation of the Holy Spirit to us of truth, turning our hearts. And then you continue. We find, we find that argument here as we continue in, in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Have you ever heard anyone say, preach the gospel to yourself every day? It's not just for conversion. It's not just what we walk people through so they understand their need for surrender to Jesus as their Savior. But it's the very truth that we need every day. That in Christ we are forgiven and made new. All those things I just said, that is the gospel of Jesus that we need to preach to ourselves every day. That's what the Holy Spirit is crying out to us as our advocate, advocating for truth in us, revealing the lies that we have believed. Look at this in 1 John 3.20. It says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Again, our heart and our mind 
condemns. Romans 8, Romans 8 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit cries out, says, Remember, there is no condemnation in Christ. Turns our hearts once again to where we can say, Daddy God, I need you. Daddy God, restore me. Daddy God, my life is yours. He's greater than our hearts. Our hearts, like I said, don't like grace. Our hearts want to work. We want to know that we can control. We want to work. Holy Spirit says, no, surrender. I've done the work for you in Christ. Can your heart believe that you're forgivable, that you're lovable, that you're usable, that you're knowable? That's what we fight against. We say, no, I've done too much. I haven't done enough. I don't know the right things. I don't know the right people. God is greater than our hearts. And working as the Holy Spirit, he's calling our hearts to say, in me, no way, in Christ, yes. So the Holy Spirit comes as one who is also God and argues the case against us for our good as a result of the work achieved by Christ. So the thrust of the case that the Holy Spirit is making is the one that conforms our lives to the will of God. It is the one that facilitates the work of His likeness being shown through us. It is the work of illuminating the Scriptures and of illuminating sin in our life and of illuminating His goodness over all things. I heard an illustration. I thought it was like, we, we all go through this world thinking that we're enjoying this immaculate steak dinner or whatever your favorite food is that speaks to special night to, you know, with the, the, per, the space perfectly appointed and you're enjoying to only have all of a sudden the lights flipped on and to see cockroaches flying, you know, crawling everywhere in the putrid food that you're eating. We think, that is what we think our righteousness, our goodness is like. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, no, your sin is like filthy rags. Your efforts result in this. But again, by the work of Christ, you have that immaculate life. It is the work that he achieved. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, illuminating truth and sin and God's goodness in all things. His case always works for the glory of God. His case works to help us delight in his precepts and his truth. The Holy Spirit's case works to make us see the better and divine way that God created and sustains all things. This is the promised full life. It's not the prosperity of circumstances. It is the personal, experiential reality of life with God the Father made possible in Christ and in our lives aimed towards by the work of the Holy Spirit. So how do we experience these gifts given by our two advocates, Jesus and the Holy Spirit? It comes through surrender, as we sang earlier. Again, recognizing that we cannot overcome our need. We cannot find our way without the Holy Spirit illuminating the way and the truth. We can realize this, that none of us are so good that we do not need an advocate, and none of us are so bad that we cannot be represented, represented by these advocates. Again, the Holy Spirit is a person. Because of Him, we have hope, power, presence, understanding of truth, the truth, the will, the hope of God. <clears throat> and He manifested that in Christ. And I hope today that we can see the selflessness in all of this. We see the selflessness in the way that God works. 
in perfect unity and concert of, of God in three persons. It's all selfless. God the Father gave his son. Jesus, our first advocate, gave himself on a tree to suffer our death so that we could be declared innocent. The Holy Spirit, our second advocate, gave himself to us so that we could know God relationally and live an empowered life for his glory and all of our good. So dig deeper this week. Think of the Holy Spirit as relational. Think of all that God is as relational, all that he's given us to do. Realize that it is for his glory. Our life is meant to be conformed to his will, his likeness. That is where your ultimate satisfaction is. So your first step is surrender. And then your next step is to pursue relationally the person of God and all that he has given. So let me pray, and then Kurt will lead us through communion in a moment. So God, we love you. And um, I I recognize that we hit the the end of our understanding quite often. Uh, But we thank you, Lord, that through the work of you, the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you illuminate your truth. God, you bring understanding to our hearts, and we understand that it, there, we, we will know what you have given us to know, and you have always given us enough to walk in faith. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't hear this as a discarding of, of intellect and of reason, um, but, Lord, that in our minds as we pursue you, that it would lead to a knowing of you relationally, and it would lead to a transforming of you eternal, by you eternally. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who cries out to us, who exposes the lies of our hearts and minds that we cling to, God, and calls that we are adopted children, God, that we can say, Abba, Father. Lord, you are greater than our hearts, so let us be wooed by you today. Lord, not just for the the peace of this life, but for the purpose of this life, that we would live, Lord, out this call in our lives to live as the light of Christ in this world, loving our neighbors intentionally, Lord, uh, going to to the least and the lost, Lord, the orphan and the widow. Lord, to not live to consume, but to live to pour out as Christ was poured out for us. We know that all that doesn't come naturally. It all comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. So let us pursue you in your word, God, knowing that you've given that for us to know you. Lord, to be filled by the Spirit is to be filled with the world word. Do not let us separate those, God. Let us be a people who fellowship in those ways. Lord, that it's not just these express times where we talk about your word and where we pray, but that as we gather just in life, as we share space, Lord, that we would be moved to pray together, understanding our need for your intercession. God, understanding our need for your intervention. Lord, that as we come together, whether, you know, just in any time, Lord, that we would find ourselves speaking of your truth and the way that we are relating and experiencing you in your word and, Lord, seeing how our lives are being transformed. God, I pray against, again, just the, the, the notion of just doing church where this is just something that we fit on our plate with the rest of our lives. But just as we are in Christ, given a new identity that permeates all that we are, we understand that as a people, as a family of God. Lord, that we are always the church, your people, set apart by Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.